Welcome to The Contrarians, where we are right and you are wrong. I'm Julio. And I'm Alex. Here on the show, we rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. For the first half of each episode, Contrarians Corner, we trash the fresh red tomatoes and praise the rotten green splotches, making our case any way we can. The aptly titled Real Talk serves as the second half of each episode. This is where we discuss our true feelings on the movie we're covering. For more information on our podcast and to browse past episodes, you can head over to our website, wearethecontrarians.com. From there, you can also access our patron and merchandise, because capitalism. If you enjoy our attempts at comedic film discussions, we encourage you to subscribe and leave us a review on whatever podcatcher you use. If you'd like to reach out to us directly, that's what social media is for. You can find us on most platforms as at Contrarian Prime. You can also see what we look like if you go to youtube.com slash at Contrarian Prime, and you can contact us by email at wearethecontrarians at gmail.com. I think that covers it. Then it's time for the podcast. And we are recording for Contrarian's Corner for The Suicide Squad. Not Suicide Squad, The Suicide Squad. They did the opposite of what uh, Sean Parker recommends. Yeah, okay. So that we've already started with... uh, Hello, I'm Alex and that's Julio. (laughs) Welcome to The Contrarian's. You already started off by answering some of my questions about what the... About Sean Parker's involvement in the DCEU. What the, the groundwork for this was, because... Uh, I have not seen the, I guess you would call the original, the one yeah. with Jared Leto, the Academy Award winning film. Um, so that was the differentiation in the title. That's why it wasn't Suicide Squad 2 is because it's the Suicide Squad. Yep. That's, they added, they added the the. Because this isn't a reboot. It's not a reboot. Uh, I mean, I, hopefully you could tell from uh just watching the movie that some of these characters had some previous history. Well, cause I, I know that Margaret Roby was Harley Quinn because th- that was the big thing of besides Jared Leto being the Joker. The big thing was um, that the, the really attractive Australian blonde from <laughs> Wolf of Wall Street is going to play Harley Quinn. And everyone was like, what? And then Will Smith was in, the 2016 he played Deadshot, right? Right. So I'm assuming that one was rated PG-13 because Will Smith was in it. Uh, pr- probably. I I'm trying to remember. I it's definitely nowhere near as graphic, gory, and uh, just curse laden as as this movie. But it's been forever since I watched it. So. And then, so where does? She didn't get her own Harley Quinn movie, but there was a Harley Quinn movie that had Ramona Flowers in it, right? Yeah, it was basically the Harley. It was Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey, and that was in between the first Suicide Squad and this one. Okay, was it good? Uh, yeah, I, I liked it. It was kind of divisive, but it was. It also had the the misfortune of coming out at the beginning of COVID. It was one of those movies that. Mm. A lot of people say, oh, yeah, the last thing I watched in theaters before lockdown was the Harley Quinn movie, because it was like the week before, I think. Because that was a big thing about the 2016 Suicide Squad, was that it was like a box office juggernaut, if I remember correctly. And this one that we're talking about today, the 2021, the Suicide Squad, uh, not so much, because 
What did they do? Did they release it in theaters and a streaming in the same on the same day? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it oh, was part that, of that uh, uh, year long HBO experiment. With the exception of Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends, has that worked for any movie? Uh, I don't know. I mean, when was it Halloween Ends? When was it that it? Because this was pretty early. The, the Suicide Squad was pretty early in 2021, right? We were still feeling like we were locked down. Okay, number one, we were never locked down. I'm well, sorry, Julio. Like we were supposed to. to. <laughs> okay, yeah. That always drives me nuts when people refer to lockdown. I was like, no, it never happened. Okay, lockdown well, is some, when you get, some of us, Alex. <laughs> you get beaten in the streets when you leave your home. That's what lockdown is. Um, <laughs> Halloween Ends came out last year. Like when. Oh, you I'm know, sorry. I meant Halloween Kills. Halloween Kills was October of 2021. Okay, so it's later in the year. So that that would you know maybe. And and also being fair here with the question i'm posing the the budgets for halloween ends and halloween kills were not the what is this movie fucking 185 million dollar budget yeah so but still i i mean that genuinely anyone listening out there halloween kills and halloween ends both went to streaming the day they were released in theaters and both of those movies still quadrupled their budget so i i'm putting the call out what movies have been a success outside of that? I'm sure there are, but what movies have been a success outside of those that went to streaming the same day? Because that seems to just be a, a very flawed model, which it was in this case, as um, the film received positive reviews from critics and became the most streamed DCEU. <laughs> I'm going to punch myself for saying that film on HBO Max, although it bombed at the box office, grossing just 169 million worldwide against the production budget of 185 million. Its box office performance was attributed to such factors as the COVID-19 pandemic, the film's availability on HBO Max, and its relationship to the first Suicide Squad. <laughs> <laughs> Sad but true. Sad but true.mp3. Uh, well, I- I- even so... I was astonished to find that this is a 90 percenter on the old RT accompanied with that wonderful certified fresh logo. Uh, Julio, did you see this in the theater when it came out or did you were you watching on HBO Max? As I said, Alex, we were in lockdown. We were not oh, allowed yes, to that's leave. Right. <laughs> no, I saw it on HBO Max. I was not going to go out. I mean, I'm sorry. I I like James Gunn. I like the Guardians of the Galaxy movies and overall, I mean. Maybe under normal circumstances, I would have gone. But at that time, I wasn't going to see anything in theaters. And I definitely was not going to go see a sequel to Suicide Squad in theaters. I remember that was kind of our like idea with that SummerSlam trip to Vegas. It was like, well, if we die, we can say we went to SummerSlam and we were in Las Vegas also. So it's all right. It's not the same thing as like risking mortality for a fucking James Gunn superhero movie. Exactly. I risk mortality for, <laughs> for the Spider-Man sequel. Like, I went to see Spider-Man No Way Home uh, with Kelly, you know, and that was, like, I think in December. And I was like, all right, well, that's, you know, that tracks. I'm, I'm going out on my own terms. Like, fucking Suicide Squad with a bunch of characters I've never heard of? No. I've, I'll watch it from home. Uh, oh, okay. So you're already... You started off... You're You're playing into my hands here, Julio, about... He started off by leading in with the transition into the original, <laughs> so I kind of have some backstory there. And then uh, my next question was going to be, are these all real characters? <laughs> and because you are, as longtime listeners know, big X-Men guy, 
Uh, but outside of that, and, and Batman obviously as well, but outside of that, my comic book knowledge, I always defer to you for. So these aren't, this isn't like the A team here. No, this is like the R team, Y team. <laughs> and the person that would be best suited to answer this question would be, Here's is the reason we're doing this? Exactly. <laughs> Paul Myers, Filmbusters Paul, this is his pick, his patron pick for the main feed. And he he's a big DC person. In fact, he has his own separate he DC is. podcast. So uh, he probably can tell you how many of these characters are actual characters from DC Comics and how many were created just because they wanted Pete Davidson in the movie. But I know the Joel Kinnaman character is, is from the comics, uh, Captain Flag. Uh, Colonel Flag, whatever his rank is. Uh, obviously, Harley Quinn is from the comics, and uh, the Idris Elba character is from the comics. Uh, he's not Deadshot. He's dead something else, right? Uh, Bloodsport. Bloodsport. There you go. Even though, clearly, and we'll talk about this, uh, he, he's just basically a, a substitute for, for the Deadshot character from the first movie. Like, if they could have gotten Will Smith to come back, then he would have taken, he, you know, he would have been playing that that part in the story. Um, Brother, in 2021, I am way more content with Idris Elba than Will Smith. (laughs) You might want to work on your team motivation thing. You heard of Phil Jackson? Yeah. He's like the gold standard. I I don't like I can't. I'm not. Spoiler alert. I'm not going to go back and watch the first one or the Birds of Prey movie, but I can't imagine. Is the tone of the first one similar to this? Like, I can't imagine Will Smith working in a movie like this. It's it's a lot less comedic. It's more action movie. Just, I, I mean, it has its funny parts, and definitely the Harley Quinn character is played in the exact, like at the exact same pitch. But I had forgotten how much this one leans into comedy. And the, the first Suicide Squad from what I remember was just more like, "Oh, this is cool action." Dude, I remember. Oh God, that was it Halloween of twenty sixteen or twenty seventeen, whenever that movie came out. Just the the Harley Quinn. That that Margot Robbie Harley Quinn. Everywhere you looked. Well, I was about to say it was to white women for that Halloween <laughs> season what Heath Ledger's Joker was to white men in two thousand eight. <laughs> so we'll we'll get to Margot Robbie and we'll get to Harley Quinn. We're gonna get to the whole cast here. We'll get to Big Match John. Even Rocky shows up here. Uh 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. Our buddy Paul, Filmbusters Paul, is the reason for the season. We're recording this the night before Thanksgiving, which, of course, to those of you outside of America, doesn't really mean a whole hell of a lot. But uh, we're we're getting in the spirit here by firing up yet another James Gunn ensemble cast. And Paul brought to us, um, I respect the dedication and <laughs> admiration he has for the work we've done. It was basically the. It was once again the Rock pitted against John Cena. Could do Black Adam starring Dwayne Johnson, or Suicide Squad starring. You know he's up there. He he gets third billing. Mm-hmm. Uh, big match John John Cena, the franchise player and uh, the Doctor of Thugonomics, as it were. <laughs> and we'll talk about this in the second half. But I feel we made the right choice. But for, <laughs> <laughs> but for now. Contrarian's Corner, 90%. A lot of people love this. I was going through our friends, our podcasting friends, and uh, just some of the people I follow on Letterboxd. There's a lot of positive reviews for this, but let's go where it matters, Julio. What are the the critics that comprise the tomato meter? What, what, what reviews did you pull, and what were they saying? 
over 300 reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, Alex. It's like, we couldn't really go out. So I think critics just tripled <laughs> their their output. Everybody wrote a, a review of uh, The Suicide Squad. Uh, for example, David Gonzalez from The Cinematic Reel said, Nothing would prepare me for the high-octane love letter to the genre that would be James Gunn's The Suicide Squad, a film, uh, that, is more, a film that is more than a blockbuster. It's cinema at its grandest and most pleasing. Take that, Marty Scorsese. Wow. <laughs> He hit two of them. He hit Love Letter, and he called it Cinema. And Cinema. Man, that's that's impressive. I mean, to be fair, David Gonzalez probably hadn't watched the movie in over a year. And then The Suicide Squad was unleashed on his HBO. Um, next, Corey Woodruff from the Nashville scene says, Comparing 2016 Suicide Squad to 2021 series reboot is like comparing day-old gas station sushi to three-star Michelin sushi chef Jiro Ono's finest dish. That's pretty dramatic. Yeah, but also comparing anything to the 2016 Suicide Squad is would, would you know, make that analogy. Because also that comparing really anything to gas station sushi. <laughs> Exactly. A hot dog you could get at a gas station is more reliable than gas station sushi. Yes. Yeah. You can go to Chili's and, you know, you get the equivalent of the Suicide Squad if you're talking about gas station sushi as the other option. So, Corey, try again. Uh, next, Justin Brown from Medium Popcorn says, This movie kept my attention more than any film I've watched over the past few months. It was fun and engaging to the point where I was entertained from start to finish. Justin, that's like the bare minimum you can ask for him. <laughs> from a movie yeah that's that's a very sad state of affairs right there (laughs) i wasn't on my phone when i was watching it that means it's a good movie yep uh we're gonna close with ryan syrick from the reader omaha nebraska who says if billionaires want to set their money on fire by using computers to animate the 12th doctor peter capaldi staring down a several skyscraper sized creature named starro that is almost certainly less evil than whatever else they were going to do with it. <laughs> That's where we were oh, uh, in 2021, Alex. We're like, look, whatever. If they want to waste their money on this, I'll take it. You're not making the point you think you are by saying something like that. I, I think that, again, we need to take these quotes, these very positive quotes, in the context of August 2021, where psychologically, we were still reeling from whatever the fuck was happening around the world with with the the pandemic and just the fact that you know by august i think that <laughs> the dissonance was it was just i don't think that anybody who had any hopes of the world ever coming together in an answer to this situation right like by then i think we were split for good so along comes a movie like the suicide squad and i'm like can we at least unite in agreeing that this is watchable <laughs> that was the consensus we can't agree on what COVID is, but can we agree that, hey, this movie is entertaining from start to finish? <laughs> 90%. Uh, if you want to listen to Rotten Quotes, come back for real talk. But this is super fresh, so it's time to pick it apart and be negative about it. Let's go to Contrarian's Corner. So this is the famous Suicide Squad. Well, we consider that term degrading. The official term is Task Force X. Was Michael Rooker in the first Suicide Squad? No. So the only characters from the previous one are uh, Flag, so Joel Kinnaman, Margaret Robbie as Hardy Quinn, and uh, Viola Davis as Amanda Waller. 
pretty sure. Oh, and uh, <laughs> bless his heart, Jai Courtney as Captain Boomerang. Okay, I was about to ask uh, the contrarian's favorite, Jai Courtney. You didn't know that he was in it, right? I assumed he was because when he showed up, I just the way that it was presented, it's like oh, I'm supposed to know who this guy. And then, of course, I know who Jai Courtney is. But, <laughs> no, uh, I meant like you didn't know that he was in this movie. Like he showed up, and, and you were like, oh, it's my friend Jai Courtney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I, I meant like the way he was presented. I was like, oh, he must be from another one, or I'm supposed to know who he is. Garth MacArthur is, of course, what I I know. Uh, Jai Courtney as from Espresso Compresso in the <laughs> Wet Hot American <laughs> Summer Universe. All right. Intelligence officer Amanda Waller, which is Viola Davis, by the way. Oscar winner, Viola a, Davis. A, serious actor, Vi- <laughs> Viola Davis, assembles two task force X teams, colloquially known as the Suicide Squad, which comprise Bell Reeve penitentiary inmates who agree to carry out a mission in exchange for shortened sentences. Neither team is aware of the other's existence. Sent to the South American island of Corto Maltesa after an anti-American regime overthrows its government. The teams are tasked with destroying Nazi-era laboratory. Uh, what is it? Yotium? Jo- I-, I can't remember. They say it a bunch, but I, I didn't oh, take the Jodahim, notes. Actually. The-, the name of the lab? Yeah, yeah, I didn't actually take the note to write it down phonetically. Uh, but yeah, my notes just start off Michael Rooker, Viola Davis. And, you know, <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is going on here? And then you're like, fuck Pete Davidson. Movie ruined. And that was one of those things of like, he's supposed to be someone I recognize uh, the way the movie portrays it. I mean, yeah, because it's Pete Davidson and it's 2021. <laughs> but then I'm, my mind is be like, well, well, no, he wouldn't have been in the original because he wasn't like famous yet. Uh, so why is Pete Davidson in this movie? Why is Nathan Fillion this? Actually, no, you know that one because it's James Gunn. So Michael Rooker and and Nathan Fillion kind of come with like, they're part of the package. Uh, but I don't know. He, he, maybe, uh, James Gunn likes SNL. I thought Pete Davidson was funny initially and I thought he was funnier than Jimmy Fallon was, but he, he did eventually become what, Jimmy Fallon became of like, oh, look how cute he is. And he laughs in every sketch and we'll dedicate some portion of weekend update of him just being, you know, fun and goofy. And then, of course, you know, he ended up dating Ariana Grande. And (laughs) to be fair, when you pull off an achievement like that, if you have sex with Ariana Grande, you deserve public celebration. So (laughs) I I can't be too mad at him. But at the same (laughs) time, yeah, at the same time, I was just like, why is he in this movie? And then, as you mentioned, Nathan Fillion, um, Julio, this opening scene exists just basically to establish a couple characters that apparently you knew from the previous one, introduce some familiar faces, not necessarily to the, the franchise, but to just, you know, moviegoers in general. And then it's funny because they all die immediately. Is it funny though? Oh no no no! I, I'm I'm telling you how the movie is supposed to work, like uh-huh. it, what the movie thinks it's doing. I'm not telling you how I feel. I was just kind of like, oh, Pete Davidson's face just got blown off. <laughs> Minor fist pump. <laughs> just respectful. Um, just a knowing nod at the screen. Like, okay, <laughs> this is what we're doing. Uh, and again, I th- I guess I might have read at some point it was R-rated, but this opening scene definitely was like, oh, 
it was like my <laughs> review of Renfield. Like I didn't understand. I didn't know that was R rated, and uh, they quickly let you know that it is. And of course, I do appreciate that. But at the same time, who are these R rated superhero movies for? Well, that's I guess for the people that are complaining that the MCU is a little too cookie cutter. Ah, then then this is this is their option, their alternative. You know, like all right. <laughs> You want realistic violence in your superhero movies? Here we go. And more importantly, Alex, and I'm not going to blame you for for maybe not drawing this parallel because you're not as entrenched in the superhero movie culture as I am, but uh, this is the DCEU attempt at having their own Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Like they got James Gunn, the guy. The guy <laughs> I was about who- to say, you don't say... <laughs> Well, I didn't know. I didn't know how, how familiar I've seen we're, the we're... first Guardians of the Galaxy, and I'm aware that's a James Gunn movie. Uh, neither of which are James Gunn's best film, but we'll talk about that in the second portion. Well, but this happened around the time that Marvel, Disney, the powers that be, they fired James Gunn, right? Like they those oh. old old tweets came up, and then he got he got temporarily canceled. They fired him. They they kicked him off Guardians three, so he was a free agent. So DC snatched him, and they're like, hey. Since you're not working for Marvel anymore, do you want to come over and and do what you did over there, but with our characters? And I guess he said, okay, yes, but only if it's rated R. <laughs> so <laughs> he grabbed a bunch of obscure characters that not many people knew and, and then did the James Gunn thing. And I guess uh, critically, it, it, was, it was a success. So there, there's that. Unfortunately, you know, <laughs> the world, COVID, had different plans for the box office. But other, other than that, I mean, it is... It is a very twisted version of, of DC's Guardians of the Galaxy. So it's that on top of that. It's not just that, oh, who is this R-rated movie for? Uh, for the R-rated part of it, but also like as far as the randomness of the the James Gunn-ness of it, it's for Guardians of the Galaxy fans. <laughs> like, hey, come on over. We, we got your guy now. That is fascinating slash hilarious. Um, yeah. I guess all those James Gunn fans that were like, oh, you know, it sucks that he went to Marvel. He got neutered when he went to Marvel because he used to be really edgy and and gory and all stuff. Then, <laughs> Yeah, he got neutered by making a movie that made $800 million. I feel <laughs> really bad for him. How'd you do it, Walla? There's no soldiers out here on patrol at all. Let's just say they were distracted. Uh, this laboratory they're sent to blow up or destroy... Houses the secret experiment Project Starfish. The Corto Maltese military almost entirely wipes out one team upon landing, but the team leader, Colonel Rick Flagg, and Harley Quinn survive. The ambush on the first team serves as a diversion, allowing the second team to enter the country undetected, led by assassin Bloodsport, who Waller blackmailed in exchange to drop the court trial of his estranged daughter, Tyla. The team also consists of Peacemaker, King Shark, Polka Dot Man, and Rat Catcher 2. Uh, there is a shot of Nathan Fillion. He plays TDK, right? Mm-hmm. The detachable kid. That's right. He's drinking a, a pib, and I <laughs> really, I, I am a Dr. Pepper connoisseur through and through. And for those that don't know, pib is like the off-brand Dr. Pepper. I remember all the dorms. And <laughs> it was actually a running bit for a while of... Um, People would say, I like, if I heard someone going out of the cafeteria, i just poke my head out the wall. And I don't remember it this way, but people said I would just say, pib me, fool. And I would hand them my <laughs> bottle and ask them to <laughs> – that was my way of asking them to bring me back a, a, a pib, a cold pib with some ice. And so I 
immediately had all those emotions watching this. Um, so they also, who's Weasel, Julio? Why is there a, a CG Weasel in this movie? All the money in the world, and this is something that still, with the exception of like the Avatar movies, when they try to do like fully CG characters at night, like in night settings, it always looks bad. And I, I'm not just picking on this movie, but like CG in the dark, it just always looks so uncanny valley. And that's, I think, what I'm using this time to say is that James Cameron is the only one who can do it right. <laughs> James Cameron knows what's up and he can pull it off. But for the most part, if you have those entire like motion ball characters that are computer generated in a dark setting, they're usually going to look very bad. And uh, the <laughs> weasel here is no uh, exception. I don't know if, if the weasel actually comes from the comics, but even if it does, I don't know that anybody was clamoring for for the weasel to show up in a movie. Much like, I don't think, assuming that these are, let's assume that they're all real characters from <laughs> the comics. To say nothing of Pete Davidson. <laughs> yes. What's he? Blackguard, and then uh, the attachable kid, and then there's the dude with the spear. Like, these are nobodies. I'm like, wouldn't it be more effective if these were characters that we knew? I mean, it's not, I understand that on one hand, they want to keep the, the valuable characters for future movies, right? But looking at where the, the DC movies were at this time, I wish that they had just gone all out, put all the, like the real bad guys there, put like, I don't know, fucking General Zod and whoever's the bad guy in the Flash movie, like the, the real bad guys that you know, like Captain Mirror or uh, uh, Black Adam himself, I don't know, put, put characters that we know, and then you kill them in the first 10 minutes and... That would make a hell of a lot more of an impression than you killing nobodies. Imagine if they blow up Doomsday in the opening scene, right? Right, and and it would have it would have worked because I think that what a movie later, two movies later, they're just rebooting the whole thing. So you could have just done that because it's not like you were going to use those incarnations of those characters again. Around this point in the movie is when the actual credits roll, and uh, <laughs> Margaret Robbie gets first billing. Idris gets second, and Cena, big match John, gets third, which honestly surprised me. He hasn't even shown up in the movie yet. No, but he is Peacemaker. There's King Shark, as I mentioned, voiced by Sylvester Stallone, which is a pretty awesome role for him. I'm not even sure he had to leave his couch to do it. <laughs> Did you recognize his voice? Yeah, yeah. Like, would they... How could you not? He, he was billed <laughs> in the opening credits. And then as soon as the shark talked, I was like, oh, there's there's Sly. Um, Joel Kinnaman is Colonel Rick Flagg. Am I supposed to know this guy from somewhere? Uh, if you watched the Robocop remake from a few years ago. So, no. <laughs> what, what do you think of uh, Colonel Flagg? Is he just like a really bland Captain America? Is that what he's supposed to be? He, I kept forgetting this guy was a character in the movie, and then he would show back up, and I'd be like, oh, yeah, this dude. He is uh, – I like Joel Kinnaman as, as just – I guess as an actor. I, I think – no, that's not true. I think that I I feel bad for Joel Kinnaman. You know, like he's in a, he gets cast in a big DC movie, and it gets savaged by critics. He gets cast in another DC movie. Like, you know, they bring him back, and then uh, the critics like it. But he gets written off the franchise. Live by the sword, die by the sword, my man. They brought him back. And we're like, don't worry, Joel. This time around, you get to do some cool stuff. Because the first movie, his big subplot is that he has a, a romance with one of the members of Suicide Squad. The What's her name? Enchantress. And uh, 
that's that's his thing in the movie, and it's really bad. It doesn't work. And so they brought him back on, like, okay, don't worry. This time around, you, you're gonna be like the, the the hardcore moral center of the team, and you're gonna get a big. You gotta get in a fight with Cena. You can imagine that you're Dwayne Johnson, <laughs> but that's it. Whatever happens, you're not coming back. Sorry, man. You're gonna be like Edge, or CM Punk, or Roman Reigns, or any <laughs> of John Cena's legendary foils. Um, so. This movie hops around with time a bit, and I mean that from the sense of, like, we get this opening, then it goes three days earlier, and then later in the movie, it'll be like, meanwhile, Uh and then it'll go eight minutes earlier, (laughs) and we as the audience are made aware of these time hops by the most (laughs) eye-roll-inducing title cards I've ever seen. A little too Wes Anderson for you? Wes Anderson watched this and said, dial it back, boys. (laughs) Uh, It's just what I mean by that is elements in the setting create the words. You know, there's a fire going on. So the smoke billows up and says, meanwhile, or uh, (laughs) even the beginning when Michael Rooker's head gets blown up because he's uh, (laughs) leaving his mission, the viscera and blood in the water spells out Warner Brothers presents. It's just it's (laughs) fuck off. Warner Brothers endorsed this move. <laughs> so, Waller, Academy Award winner Viola Davis. What do you think? Three days shooting? At most. At most. <laughs> she showed up and said, hey, 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 it's the Suicide Squad. It's the Suicide <laughs> Squad. <laughs> There's one shot where uh, they didn't frame it correctly, and you can see she's wearing pajama pants. <laughs> oh, and I didn't forget to call out that Michael Rooker literally does said, oh, so this is the Suicide Squad. <laughs> <laughs> you remember that line from the, the the first trailer, the original trailer from the first Suicide Squad? Because it was parodied and memed everywhere. Was it Will Smith that said it? Mm-hmm. Will Smith going like, so what, are we some kind of Suicide Squad? <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> that movie has more Academy Awards than Drive. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it. What, we some kind of suicide squad? Waller orders the squad to find Flag, who escaped from a military, from the military, excuse me, but was captured by rebel soldiers. The team finds the rebel base and massacres the soldiers, <laughs> only to learn that the rebellion leader, Solseria, has saved Flag. Despite the group's actions, Saria agrees to help them infiltrate the capital, where they capture Project Starfish's lead scientist, The Thinker played by uh, Peter Capaldi. Peter Capaldi making uh, his main feed debut, but we've had him on Patreon, Alex, briefly. Which movie? Dangerous Liaisons. He was... uh, Oh, of course, yes. Yeah, he was uh, Malkovich's right-hand man there. Uh, Surya, played by Alice Braga, Braga, Mm -hmm. who is a definitive, hey, that girl actress... (laughs) And I don't think has aged since the early 2000s. <laughs> she, I, I would think her first big role that she would be known for is I Am Legend. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then for myself, the things I know her for, <laughs> way more esoterically being Red Belt and uh, Predators. But she, you know, Elysium, she's had a lot of roles. She's uh, in the X-Men universe, Alex. I was waiting for you to say it. <laughs> Like a victim of trauma, I saw that movie and it's blocked out of my memory. But anyway, uh, yeah, Sol Saria, uh, great, like very recognizable face, very 
distinct way, not just her accent, but her way of speaking is very distinct. So, of course, she shows up. You think she's going to be something in this movie, and then she immediately <laughs> disappears until the end. I wonder if at, at some point she was supposed to be some sort of love interest for uh, for Flag. They're like, man, you don't have the charisma to be a protagonist unless we give you somebody that can be a love interest. But then they're like, nope, we can't because we're running two hours and 12 minutes already. So we got to cut some subplots. Meanwhile, Harley is captured by the Corto Maltese government and taken to new dictator Silvio Luna, who wishes to marry her after learning of Luna's plans to use Project Starfish on political dissonance. Harley kills him and escapes. She joins the others who use the thinker to break into the lab and begin rigging the explosives. Now, my note says, hey, it's Barbie because they put like a dress on her. And it's like <laughs> <laughs> it's Barbie. Harley Quinn gets uh, a 20 minute short film of her own in the middle of this movie. Yep. Did you get the feeling that this was due to scheduling conflicts? Because the first thing that I thought of was how uh, when they brought back Arrested Development for a fourth season produced by Netflix. The problem was that all the actors were big names now. So getting them all together to shoot an ensemble comedy was really hard. So the way that they got around it was every episode of the show focused on one character. You know, that way they only had to get Jason Bateman and Michael Sarah, for example, together for a couple episodes, you know, and they could shoot that. And then they would get uh, Will Arnett on his own story for another. And, and then there was one day or two days where they had every actor. And then for that, they shot like a couple of big scenes and then they interspersed those throughout the season. And uh, it was noticeable. You're watching it and you're like, oh yeah, they really couldn't get everybody together, huh? And uh, watching he, <laughs> uh, Harley Quinn have her own adventure completely separate and almost irrelevant when it comes to the, the plot itself. Because, you know, you could take out everything that happens to Harley here and the story still kind of plays out the same because in the end, the end point is that they end up fighting a big monster that was going to escape regardless of who was in power, right? So the big thing in the, in the Harley story is that she ends up killing the guy that's in charge, the, 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 I guess the current president. And uh, well, it doesn't matter, you know, because it doesn't have any effect on the big starfish at the end. So I got the feeling that Margot Robbie, who's a big star now, arguably a bigger star than anybody else in the, in the cast. Maybe even Idris Elba. Uh, oh yeah, definitely. I, I I love Idris Elba, and of course I love John Cena. Mm -mm. <laughs> you respect oh, okay. John Cena? No, no, no. I I love John Cena. I okay. was about to say like, there's still some. Okay, so we're talking about the biggest star, right? And right. Yes. If you're putting someone in a movie, it is. But there's also something to be said of like, if you there's certain parts of like the Middle East, like I've heard like <laughs> firsthand testimonies of this. That if you take a picture, like where they don't have television, if you take a picture of Margot Robbie and you take a picture, I can't even say her name right anymore because of Tim Heidecker, Margot Robbie, if you take a picture of her <laughs> and a picture of John Cena, they're going to know who he is and not know who she is. I don't you know, know man. Now they'll go Barbie. Eh, it could be. But anyway. No, but okay, to your, but, but to your original the... point, you're exactly right. It's I had not even consider that at all scheduling conflicts because my thought process was she's so overwhelmingly the biggest star in this so she has to have her own like 30 minute segment of the movie <laughs> <laughs> 
I think this is this might be my hottest take, my more controversial opinion. But I think that this movie would be better if you took out Harley Quinn. As much as I like Margot Robbie's performance as Harley Quinn, I think that she's she's great. I, I think it's a perfect marriage of character. It would save and- us the worst CG shots in the whole movie. <laughs> But but you know the the, the characterization you know the, the idea that Harley Quinn talks like Fred Drescher I think that's brilliant like the, Margot Roy pulls it off but yeah. but she doesn't need to be in this movie and you can feel that they just shoehorned her in because she was the biggest success from the previous movie so like you can't make a Suicide Squad movie without Margot Robbie like one of the few things that you could rescue from from the the, the first the, the predecessor so. They're like, fuck it, we have to have her there. And she probably can only give us five shooting days. So, all right, we're going to write just a very self-contained story where Harley Quinn falls in love or seduces the the president and then kills him and then is tortured and then she has a big escape action scene. And then she can join the actual movie. All right, it kind of stands out, though. Can't believe there was a bullet in this gun. Uh <laughs> During this, is, I have just in all caps, character development, because we're not going to go into it, but during like the, the parallel that runs with uh, Idris and the crew is us learning about all of them and their, their dark and rocky <laughs> backstories and why they are the way they are, including a Taika Waititi cameo. <laughs> yes. Uh, did you recognize him or, or did the credits oh, yeah. tip you off? Yeah. Uh, well, I couldn't believe when he got credited, I expected him to have an actual role. Uh, but to be fair, you know, I think they credited like Jai Courtney and Pete Davidson. So like, you mm-hmm. know, those guys. Um, again, it's at this point. I'm like, man, Sly got the sweetest deal of all these folks. <laughs> He's just on his couch going, you know, takes a huge bong rip, blows it out, <laughs> takes a second and then goes, friend. <laughs> nom nom. Nom nom. Fake mustache. uh harley joins the others who use the thinker to break into the lab and yeah rig the explosives as i mentioned uh flag and rat catcher 2 enter the project starfish laboratory with the thinker and find starro the conqueror which is this giant starfish (laughs) a starfish like alien that creates smaller versions of himself to kill people and control their bodies this is um, the very unlikely Oscar clip for Peter Capaldi. <laughs> As uh, the thinker explains that Star was brought to the to Earth by the U.S. government, which has secretly funded the experiments for decades using Corto Maltese citizens as test subjects. An enraged flag decides to leak a hard drive containing evidence, but is killed by Peacemaker, who is like a covert agent. He... Uh, Viola Davis sent him as like the backup of like, you know, once they find this shit, you make sure you take over and don't let it go anywhere. I have a note that says, John, no. Um, (laughs) I was going to ask you, were you ready for a John Cena heel turn? No, no. I gave up on that shit in 20, (laughs) (laughs) 2011, probably. Uh, I I don't want to go too much into real talk here, but this is, I, I think I'm too, I'm not in a um, like a level-headed, unbiased position to judge, but I was really impressed with how good he was here. For you, you don't. I've spent nearly 20 years seeing John Cena be like Superman. 
So to see what he does here was actually pretty impressive to me. But I think a lot of people that don't know his uh, hustle, loyalty, respect character, they probably just watch this like, yeah, he's a big guy. He's got a bloody nose now. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, of course. He was wearing a toilet on his head. He was going to be the bad guy. That information gets out. It causes an international incident. Keeping the peace is worth any price, including the life of a hero like yours, sir. So please, don't make me do this. My notes literally say, boring exposition slash USA bad. (laughs) Uh, Somehow, this, this comes as a big surprise to Colonel Flagg. That the United States would have duplicitous intentions when they sent them to that island. And uh, and then, yeah, he gets a big fight with Cena, which is kind of a disappointment because the rivalry that had been established throughout the movie was between Cena and Idris Elba. So don't you think it would have been more appropriate for those two to have the big extended fight scene? Yes, because all they have is like a momentary interaction. Mm-hmm. Again, we've already established that Flag is pretty much unremarkable and not memorable in this movie so the fact that he gets to have kind of like the big action set piece in the climax that is not uh, modeled with cgi right like there's a big fight against starfish later but this is the one that more than likely will happen in in the real world and i I wish that they made it count more you know give it to give it to idris elba i want to see idris elba and and uh cena really go at it after all the tension between them the entire movie oh shit that scene where they kill all their allies unknowingly is just like an elongated dick measuring contest between the two of them. It's like who can kill people more brutally. Yep. Uh, now, my other question, Alex, is because I, I know Starro from the comics and uh, the trailer kind of gave away that Starro was going to be in, in the movie, which I, I think was a big mistake. Oh, right? that sucks. Yeah. Right. Like there's uh, yeah. the you can probably now that I'm telling you, you're gonna be like, oh yeah, that is a trailer shot. When uh, when the fake Nick Frost that's on uh, Viola Davis's team, when he points at the screen and he's like, "There's a kaiju and this shit or whatever," like that was a trailer yeah. moment, and people were like, "Oh my god, he's pointing at Starro." So we knew that Starro was was coming, and I knew what Starro was. So when a giant starfish shows up, I'm like, "Oh my god!" I mean, I, I could see it coming, but it's, it's kind of cringy. But all I can think of is. What does this look like to somebody that was not prepared mentally for a giant starfish? Which I think that that was your case. Like, is this a moment where you just throw your hands up in the air and like, okay, well, superhero movies, here we go. Well, okay. So to a certain extent, I appreciated that they were just leaning into like the ridiculousness, like the absurdity of comic books and how far you can go with like the just lunacy of the the villains and of course i'm blanking on something right now like a a parallel or an example but like um (laughs) you know i mentioned green lantern earlier like peter sarsgaard like how much (laughs) his big head (laughs) yeah and then you know what what that movie becomes it's just kind of yeah yeah it's a comic book movie it's goofy but then i moved my cursor and saw there were 40 minutes left in the movie (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I thought, all right, fuck this. And <laughs> that's when I was completely turned <laughs> off by what was happening. So they took me from like a, oh, this is charming. You know, at least they're fully leaning into what this is until uh, it was a short trip back to Earth and like a hard landing to remember that, oh, yeah, this is a movie from the last 10 years. Now, at, what, at which point in this journey did Peter Capaldi get, what do you call dismembered by Starro? <laughs> 
that might have been when I checked the cursor and it was 40 minutes left. Because, <laughs> yeah, he does get completely just, um, you know, he gets Dr. Manhattan pretty much. <laughs> there you go. That's DC also, so I can make the parallel. This is like if they made the big monster that <laughs> killed all those people in New York, the big alien and the Watchmen. They actually leaned into it. But the difference is Watchmen's a good movie and this isn't. Uh, <laughs> it tries. It tries really hard. I mean, I think James Gunn has aspirations of being a version of Zack Snyder. He's got the needle drops. He has the occasional slow-mo, uh, the bloated run times. It's just that he's not Zack Snyder, so he can't pull it off. Next year will be 15 years. So, you know, and they've done that show. So, you know, don't come crying to me when they're going to reboot Watchmen and James Gunn's <laughs> going to make the new one with fucking Taika Waititi as... Dr. Manhattan. Nathan know. Fillion is Night Owl. No, and now I'm fucking fantasy booking this. You know who would be like Dr. Manhattan, but like the, the real one is Dave Batista. Just get him nude and paint him blue. <laughs> no CGI whatsoever. No, and the, the legend's always been that Dave had a big hog, so that would work out perfectly, <laughs> man. All right, where are we? Um, meanwhile, skirmish between the rest of the team... And the military leads to Polka Dot Man accidentally setting off uh, explosions prematurely. Now, we didn't... I need to give this guy credit. David Dasmalshian. Dasmalshian. I've always had a hard time with his name. The the weird guy from <laughs> everything he's been in. No, uh, <laughs> I think most famously in meme form, he's the guy that Jake Gyllenhaal manhandles during interrogation in... Uh, prisoners and this shit dude like the first thing anyone ever saw him in was he is the joker's you know one of his lackeys in the dark knight that's the first movie that motherfucker was in he was in the dark knight <laughs> we talk about you know those people that just get royalty checks every week in the mail and of course he's on Aaron Eckhart he's on Heath Ledger's estate he ain't Christian Bale uh Maggie Gyllenhaal Morgan Freeman you know name all the other people in that but still his name's on it and that movie is on circulation constantly. So he's getting checks every week in the mail for maybe like $327. Maybe another week when it's on TNT five times, he gets a check for like three grand. You don't know. But there is nothing more baller than the first movie in your filmography being The Dark Knight. So I, I and I do, he's obviously extremely upsetting and off-putting in prisoners but i think his performance in that is really good and he's good in this too but of course that means his character has to die is, is he also extremely upsetting in this one i mean he's very off-putting and he's good the way they wrote the character is really annoying that whole thing of like he hates his mom so all he sees is his mom and so if you don't know that they go back to that same joke about nine thousand times yeah and it, it starts feeling weird because I, I just start thinking okay this guy hasn't made, but what about the lady that's playing his mom? She's just she's literally the punchline through the entire movie. All she can be at this point forward is like the before woman on hemorrhoid commercials. As the laboratory crumbles, the hard drive with all the information falls into Rat Catcher 2's possession. Peacemaker attempts to execute her for knowing the truth about Starro, but Bloodsport shoots him and takes a drive. Didn't expect Big Match John to die, but gets shot in the neck and... <laughs> he does uh and you know as the lifelong wrestling fan and especially the john cena aficionado that i feel i am he has that line of um 
I'll give this to you. She tells him, I'll give you the drive and I won't tell anybody. Why do you have to kill me? And he goes, because I'm thorough. <laughs> and that's, if you ever watch any of John's matches and the work he's done in the pro wrestling ring, he, he is nothing if not thorough. Were you glad that he never broke character and did like a, a winky thing for the audience? Like, like drop by, yes. you can't see me or do like the hand motion over his face. Yes. And that's, I, I know we talked about it when we did the rundown on our patron exclusive series of the rock and Cena, where there's a part in that where Sean William Scott does like the eyebrow to the rock and it's supposed to be like, ha 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 ha. And <laughs> the, during one of the fight scenes, Dwayne gives one of the guys a rock bottom. And I was like, uh. <laughs> Uh, probably when I was 14 watching that, I was like, uh, but you know, watching this now and believe me, and this is real talk. Like there's nothing, there's not a, a character that Cena could have taken on that is more against what he was as a pro wrestler than this peacemaker character. And my understanding is he has a show that's had like two seasons where he's doing that. So like, God bless him, man. So that's actually another Failing of the movie, maybe not. No, because you knew about the show too. So was that confusing? You're like, he has a show. What happened? He, he can't be there. Though. How did they kill him? Because that was, we knew about the show even before the movie came out. So watching it even in real time, we're like, what the hell? Doesn't he have a show? So it, it was, it takes you out of the movie a little bit. Dude, you and your fucking superhero movies and Paul and, you know, all, all y'all are the same. You know, be you, be you English or Peruvian, you're all the fucking same. I, I know what you guys go for. And you guys have all told me, you know, like it doesn't the way every time I ask y'all of something like, well, well, how does this happen? Why does this make sense? <laughs> you guys will explain it to me and I'll be like, well, that's that doesn't make sense. And then you'll just be like, well, yeah, it's a prequel or uh, it happened before. Or, yeah. So anytime something happens in these movies, you know, when Robert Downey Jr. comes back, I, I can't wait for your coping, your <laughs> coping explanation of why it makes sense and why it's good. My um, coping will be, I'll stop watching those movies. <laughs> Smaller bullets. So scene is dead. You were bumped. Cena's dead. I am bummed. SummerSlam 2014 all over again. Uh, Starro escapes the destroyed lab, brutally kills the thinker and much of the military and begins taking control of the island's population. Waller tells the squad that their mission is complete and orders them to leave. But Bloodsport decides to lead the team into fighting Starro. Waller attempts to execute them for this, a la Michael Rooker's head blowing up at the beginning of the movie. But it, her subordinates <laughs> knock her out. This is this is what you came to the movies for, to see Academy Award winner Viola Davis get brutally bludgeoned from behind <laughs> with a metal pole. Uh, I did forget to call out. They do right before Eater Selva kills John Cena. They do the stonecutters joke from The Simpsons where he falls onto the ground and then the ground <laughs> gives out go to the, the next floor and then it keeps giving out until he hits the bottom. That's. Uh, that happens to Homer in the Stonecutters episode. When he was falling, I could only hear the audio of Homer falling in my head. Is it just like, do? <laughs> he went, ah, ah, ah. Did you also get the feeling in the middle of this gigantic, climatic, 40 minute long segment that they were struggling to give Stallone something to do? Yes, because that's. One of the best scenes in the movie with the way they've built his character 
and he walks into that like underground, uh, not even underground. It's just like a open aquarium. It's like something you would see if any aquarium you go to, but these creatures that I guess we don't know what they are at this point. It's he's finally found friends and you know, he's, he's playing around and having fun with them and they're mimicking his movements on the other side of the water. And so of course, when this breaks, they have to try to kill him. And so he has to kill them because that's funny. Julio. <laughs> and like, Sly was like, Hey, I finished recording my lines. Do you have anything else for me? <laughs> We do get at the start of this final battle here. I know it's not Ring of Honor, but uh, <laughs> I was building my new office chair when I was watching this, and it shows like the Suicide Squad versus Starro. <laughs> like, I almost threw the Allen wrench at my computer. <laughs> I was just like, dude, fuck this. But it's on the loose, and it is done killing people, man. It is, if it's not just squishing them, it's do it releases these other starfish that latch on. It's, um, like those head slugs from Futurama, it just takes over and it controls you from that point forward. What causes Idris Elba to decide to play the hero? Did he know that there were TV crews somewhere and that the battle was going to eventually be broadcast back to the States so his daughter would finally be proud of him? That is the interesting conundrum that I would like to talk to someone who's like read these comics and is really familiar with these characters of because the Suicide Squad's supposed to be like the anti-heroes and you know the in it for themselves and this is clearly an example of like the whole team turning babyface of <laughs> they realize people they don't know are in trouble so they're going to go help them and I'm curious if that's a betrayal of the source material or if that's something they would really do right it feels like okay you can have maybe one character find their conscience but for all of them to make the turn, it, it does feel a little uh, sanitized, like a sanitized version of, of what should be really bad guys fighting worse guys. Like, I understand that concept. Bad guys find it their heart in the process of fighting worse guys. That's not as, as realistic, not as hard hitting. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know, especially I think out of all the characters, Idris Elba was the one that was the most uh, cynical, jaded about life, right? And I, I was waiting for something to explain why the sudden turn. Like, it's not, he doesn't seem particularly bothered by Flag's death. And he didn't seem to care about civilians at all during the movie. I mean, it's not even that he's trying to atone for maybe killing all those innocents earlier in the movie. Uh, no, he's just kind of like walking away. And then he stops, thinks about it, looks at the runtime. He's like, well, we got to fill this up somehow. So <laughs> turns around and like, let's go. And everybody follows him. And Polka Dot Man follows him. And does a little bit of good, but he gets squashed as a big punchline, him getting killed. The one of the fins or the one of the tentacles of the starfish just I guess I don't know what those are called. The point? The starfish, so they're not like it's not like an octopus. The legs? I don't know. I I guess. Yeah, he does stand upright. So it, you could you could say one of the legs. That's right. Uh he kills the polka dot man. But then Harley Quinn pierces a hole in his eye using the javelin that she was gifted at the beginning of the movie and spent the entire film trying to figure out what her purpose with it was. And she finally does and pierces through its eye, which allows Ratcatcher 2 to summon the city's rats to chew Starro to death from the inside, which is admittedly very metal. <laughs> uh, with the military diverted, Soria, uh, a reminder that <laughs> Alice Braga is in this film. She shows back up. And takes control of the government and pledges democratic elections. Bloodsport forces Waller to release him and the surviving squad members and drop 
Tyla's charges in exchange for keeping the contents of the drive confidential. They're airlifted out of Corto Maltese, which I guess what we just talked about, uh, fans would say, you know, they save the people, but the real moral quandary is that they know all this and are not sharing it. And that's even like the discussion that Harley Quinn has with uh, Idris Elba, right? Yes. And I felt that she gave up, gave in too easily. Uh, but then again, I mean, it, obviously, this movie is just paying lip service to her relationship with Flag because she doesn't react really even worse. Because, you know, they established that Idris Elba and Flag knew each other from back when they were in the military. And uh, yeah. and we know that Harley Quinn knows Flag from the previous movie. And she even, you know, they have a moment when he goes to rescue her and she, she already escaped and she hugs him. And you're like, oh, these people care about each other. You were going to save me? It was a really good plan, too. And then he dies in the climax, and she doesn't react. Like, it's not until the very end, the final shot of the movie, where she's like, he was my friend. But fuck it, let's not honor his final wishes. <laughs> let's just get out of here. It felt a little disrespectful of uh, of the flag character, Joel Kinnaman's struggle of a performance. It was like, could you at least have given him, you know, they're bad guys. They have no scruples. They could have just double-crossed Viola Davis, right? Hey, we're going to go and... Uh, uh, remove these implants from our heads and I'm going to move my my daughter somewhere else where she can be touched by your evil and then I'm going to expose this. But no, instead it's just like, no, let's just do the easy thing. We're going to blackmail you. This works out much better and this means we can wrap the movie up with Idris Elba <laughs> embracing a a pet. So I appreciated that much at least. Not just a pet, Alex. A pet that he was terrified of for two hours and 12 minutes. That's right. Uh, but that's not all, because there's the mid credit scene where we learn that the weasel is still alive. So cool. And it, it lives to uh, to kill more children. <laughs> yeah. And then the uh, post credit scene, of course, we learn that John Cena, the peacemaker, is actually still alive. So there is no way that those two people are not in his show, right? Like, that's what they were setting up. That uh, fake Nick Frost and that blonde woman... They're going to be his handlers, I guess. I assume. Yeah, because she has the really fun line of the doctor asks, like, why do you need him or something to save the fucking world? All right. Um, but anyway, John Cena lives. Suicide Squad wins. Viola Davis. Surprisingly, doesn't have those people that betrayed her killed or fired, at least. <laughs> She's just like. Uh, well, what can you do? Caught me slipping. <laughs> it's my own fault for not watching my back. Hoisted by my own petard. <laughs> yeah. So that was uh, the Suicide Squad. That was it. And then James Gunn eventually, based on this, took over the DC Universe. It is James Gunn's world. We're just living in it. Did he do the Guardians 3? Yes. James Gunn's story uh, ends happily, or continues happily. He was uncancelled, rehired at Marvel, finished his Guardians of the Galaxy trilogy, then peace out, came back to DC, returned to DC where he was offered the keys to the kingdom. And now he's in charge of all the superhero movies, and I think he's directing the new Superman movie whenever it comes out. My God. Racks riches. <laughs> Are any of those movies better than Super? I don't think so. <laughs> well, up for debate. But are you ready for real talk, Alex? 
Let's move her along. 